Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. I'm your co-host, Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. I'm so excited about this one, Sid, because... You seem punchy. I am punchy, because when you found this topic, I was sitting next to you um, doing some business of my own, some mm-hmm. work business. You were playing a game. I, I That is a part of my job. Yes, <laughs> that's true, Sydney. Uh, I'm a very fortunate man, but I heard you go, no... Like, sometimes I you make this noise like, oh, I'm going to have to do this episode, but I don't want to do this episode, but I think I have to. And that is certainly the no- noise that I heard you uh, exclaim today. I have no idea what that is in reference to, but I feel uh, pretty confident that that was your attitude. That is definitely the attitude I had, uh, especially this week, this topic in reference to what I've been experiencing this past week. It felt targeted. Mm-hmm. When I thank the listeners who sent in this topic recommendation, I'm going to try not to say it in like a kind of like, like sarcastic way. Because <laughs> what I'm saying is, uh, thank you, Will and Kiana, for this topic recommendation. But what I mean is, thanks, Will and Kiana. Whoa. Thanks. Thanks. For making me research this and learn that, as you can tell, as you can probably hear, I have been struggling with a an upper respiratory infection. Mm-hmm which started out as all of us had experienced some sort of viral infection, Ugh. I suppose. I mean, I, it wasn't, it was it's, some non-COVID. That's all we know now, right? Cancel, we test for COVID. It's not COVID. Then I we, had to we, cancel a signing uh, mm-hmm. at Books A Million here in Barbersville. And listen, signing aren't, ain't that hard. <laughs> so if, if it had been, if it had been really, really bad, I wouldn't have done it, but oofa doofa. It lay, like we took a lot of tests, like, a lot of COVID tests. Uh, right, it because, just felt so much like COVID. Well, and it went through the whole family, all of us, and then finally I was the last the last one standing to fall to the illness. Yeah. On the day I, I turned 40 is when my symptoms started. The day, isn't that cruel? Yeah, it is cruel. Not cruel. Uh, but what happened to me is, and, and this may happen to you sometimes when you're ill, my original viral illness mm-hmm. was running its course. Mm-hmm. I was getting better. Yes, and then I got worse. Ugh. And I developed a secondary bacterial infection, Ugh. as one may do. And I am particularly prone to when it comes to sinus infections or I've seen, I, sinusitis. Sydney's a tough, tough cookie. I've seen these things lay her out. It is brutal. If you've had a real deal sinus infection, and I don't just mean like you're sniffly. You know what I'm talking about if you've experienced this. The pain in your face and your ears and your teeth 
your jaw. I mean, it's all up in there, honey. It's like your whole head's going to explode. It's rough. That is what I've been experiencing. I am thankfully now receiving proper treatment. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, I did not treat myself. No. I reached out to my family doctor. There's a little plug for family doctors out there. Uh, and she took good care of me, and I'm getting better. But what I've been doing a lot of this week, uh, or longer, actually longer than a week, is blowing my nose. <laughs> not sustained. Not the entire time. Yeah. No, like I- intermittently blowing my nose. And I I think that we all take for granted this idea that it's that's good. Yep. Right? Yep. Not only do we do we blow our noses when that is necessary, yeah. we teach our kids to. This has been an ongoing battle with us recently, mm-hmm. teaching our, because we've all passed this thing around. And they're bad at it? Yeah. Like, I didn't think you could be bad at it, but they were like, bad at it. Like, Charlie at first was like. Now don't embarrass her. When she was younger, I'm yeah. saying as a young child, she would hold the the tissue or what have you like two inches from her face and blow like it was like a, a net. It's like, no, honey, we're not. It's not like that. That's not the way to approach. Now, here's what I'm going to I'm going to throw at you, Justin. Not one of the tissues. No, no. Although there is a pile of your tissues on this table, which we're going to talk about later. Uh, uh, my tissues? No, ma'am. Those are not my tissues. They're the little teeny ones when you get a nosebleed. I know what's happening. Oh, Anyway, uh, I'm going to throw this idea at you. I think Charlie is probably technically better at blowing her nose than we are. No kidding. We've been doing it wrong. What? And I'm going to call into question the idea that we should do it at all. Oh, come on. I know. Sydney, can we just have one thing? I know. Now, I can't sit here and tell you the history of nose blowing. I don't. I There may be a cultural historian who could document such practices. That, I can't. I mean, that is beyond the most natural my, thing in the world. That's beyond my particular my particular research capabilities. I obviously the idea of clearing your nose when it feels stuffy is is very ingrained in us. And there's a whole etiquette system developed around it, right? It's been around so long that we know you shouldn't blow your nose at the table. Yes. Or if you do blow your nose at the table, you should at least turn around. Which, the fact that that has to be in a book somewhere is kind of disturbing to me. Yeah. Like, don't blow your nose directly over the food. How would you turn around, like, you t- sit backwards on your chair like a coach talking to young folks and then blow no, your like, nose? like, turn your head. Does your body not rotate? <laughs> it does. It just needs to turn around. <laughs> just turn around. Or go, or excuse yourself. Um, so, uh, like I said, I can't I can't cover the complete history of when did the first human say... Hey, wait, I could blast this stuff clean out. <laughs> hey, I find if I plug one of the holes, I could really blaze. I could really. <laughs> that ha- that I do wish I'd been there for like that cultural moment. It went in the uh, early man when when he was like, hey, if I plug this one up, look, <laughs> I can really blast it out. This is a new well, thing. I didn't call it the Derek. <laughs> it's a new move I just came up with. I mean, if, if I'm just, I- I'm going to talk a little bit about handkerchiefs and Kleenex as a way of sort of indicating our relationship with nose blowing. Okay. That's, that's sort of my conduit that I'm using because I can't tell you when we first started blowing our noses. So I'm going to talk about handkerchiefs, but um, I think it is fair to say that since, I mean, colds and stuffiness, allergies, all the various reasons why your nose might need, you might feel that it needs to be blown date back to as long as there've been people, there probably were, that was probably what happened first, right? People just sort of like Snorted it right out there. Just like right just there. Blazed it right out. Maybe put a hand up. Maybe not. 
Who knows? Not snorted. Snorted is inward, I feel like. Snort. Well, then what is the word for blowing it out? See, that's why I've been struggling here. I think I said blaze or blast. That's not accurate. Blow? That's the word. It's blow. Blow? Okay. And we can look back to ancient history for indications that we used to carry something around to use like an all-purpose utilitarian cloth that you may have on your person for whatever you needed. And certainly— these pieces of cloth would probably have been used for, you know, I don't know, gently dabbing sweat from your brow as well, I suppose. Um, and you can find depictions of this as far back as like 1000 BCE in the Chow Dynasty. There are depictions of figures holding like pieces of decorative cloth that you would just carry on your person. So we can co- kind even of inter- like, if we look back to why would someone just carry around a piece of cloth all the time? Even intergalactically, it's well established that everyone has a towel. I think Ford pre-fret effect uh, drops out on Arthur Dent that the most useful thing you can have is a towel. And what is a handkerchief except a small towel? Well, that's true, Justin. What are you referencing? The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Ah, okay. Okay. Um, a historical document. A historical document. Yes. So, uh, as I said, these were multi-purpose. These were also often used to, like, put on your head to shield you from the sun. And we're going to get into that with our mm-hmm. modern... The Greeks and Romans would have carried around a small piece of cloth, especially for, like, if you... The sort of image of, like, at a sporting or athletic event, mm-hmm. like, waving a white cloth, that would have been very common. Um, but the idea of a kerchief, and when I say a kerchief, I mean a piece of cloth that covers your head, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um which, which comes from like the hand French words. I just got it. Did you just get that? Yeah. I had no I had no idea. Okay. Okay. And kerchief is from the French for like head and covering. Okay, and linguistics. So, I see you. So, and, yeah. So that's what led to the, the widespread use of the kerchief obviously predates the hand kerchief. Yeah. Although, again, people have probably been carrying around dirty rags for bodily functions for a long time. People um, would carry... This is my human rag that I have to have for all the various secretions. It is so... I, I like this kind of thing because, I mean, this is medically adjacent, right? The history of a handkerchief. But it is so human <laughs> to say, I'm going to carry around... I mean, that's what it is. It's my human rag for, for my bodily secretions. It's so grody when you put it that way. But, like, the way... think about it too much. You can't, you can't because then you start thinking about bathrooms like that, like how absolutely wild it is that we're like, well, it's a normal thing being a human. One little like quirk that we have is that every once in a while we have to go to a hole to put <laughs> some of the stuff we've stored mm-hmm. up in into yeah. the hole. Just sort of dangle our bottom over it. We put the bottom over the hole and some of the human goo comes out and it's, you don't, I know it's going to seem like (laughs) you need it. You don't. Trust me. It's just completely fine. Um, I I like though that we've created, I mean, much the same way that you and I have uh, themed bathrooms in our house. Mm -hmm. um, We have created a sort of fun playfulness around. Yeah. Around this this very basic uh, elimination function. This is our Twin Peaks bathroom. This mm-hmm. is our this is our, our. It's a TARDIS, but it's actually the bathroom. It's a TARDIS, but it's actually you poop on the inside. Uh, so anyway, people would carry a kerchief in their pocket. Do you think originally, the TARDIS bathroom is actually smaller than you expect it to be. Like you get in the TARDIS, it's like whoa, 
And then you see a huge door to the bathroom, and you open it, and it's very small, and you have to crouch down. It's a very tiny, like, half bath. It Well, it is a half bath. I will say it's like a normal-sized door. You say, like, a huge door? No, in the TARDIS. It's just like a normal door. The bathroom on the TARDIS. I'm saying right. the bathroom on the, the real TARDIS. Oh, not our TARDIS bathroom. a huge bathroom. door. And then you open it, and it goes into a very small bathroom. It's like an Does inversion. the doctor go to the bathroom? Can't. Can't. Okay, so people would carry a kerchief in their pocket— because you would need it to cover your head periodically. Mm-hmm. Um, and it began to become like a fashionable thing. Sure. Uh, to have a kerchief for different reasons. Mm-hmm. And initially it was, it's dated back to royalty were the first to like, instead of just having something that you just sort of, again, very utilitarian tucked in your pocket to have in case you needed it, to have something lovely that you would have on your person where you could see it you know, that others could view it too Mm -hmm. and that you would use for all kinds of things. And and it is at that point that you start hearing people refer to them not just as kerchiefs, but hand Mm -hmm. kerchiefs or handkerchiefs. Um, And then they start to take on different meanings at this point. So you start to see the idea of a handkerchief being a token of affection, you know, something that you could give to a lover, Mm. something that could be beautiful, that could have embroidery on it with your initials or with some sort of message they could be used to show your social status. You know, again, they were associated with royalty early on. So you can see, we've talked about this before, you know, if a king does something, it becomes popular. Mm-hmm. Even if that's like getting a a fistula. Remember? Yeah. Yeah, even getting a rectal fistula is something that you could, that could catch on. Yeah. And be all the rage. It was very trendy for a little bit. Um, and especially if they were ornate or embellished in some way. It's a, it's a, it's like a lot of things. We all need to carry this. I'm going to make mine prettier. Yes. To show how fancy I am. Um, And as uh, handkerchiefs caught on, it really became popular. Like throughout all this time period, we're talking about the Middle Ages where, you know, we we write about like ladies giving gentlemen their handkerchiefs and all these kinds of things. And, you know, they play big roles in things like Othello. A handkerchief is an important symbol Shakespeare writes about. But it's not until the industrial age that you see Everybody everywhere needs a handkerchief, and they really start taking off. And the reason is because we start to have these kind of more crowded urban areas. Pollution is a bigger problem. And we are aware enough that there's something about the air that is different that makes us think we need something to occasionally cover our face or blow out that city crud. Ah, yes. You know what I'm talking about. Mm, That's why I moved out here to the hills. Away from the city. That city air got to me, Sid. Yeah, don't don't say too much because we do live in the chemical valley. So. Hey, but still, they're not in the air. It's in the water and <laughs> water and dirt. Listen, and don't some in the air. Don't blame it all on cities. We uh, us out here, we're pretty good at polluting the air too. <laughs> we all find our own way. Um, so. And they ranged. At this point, you kind of see, like, this variety of different handkerchiefs for different purposes and different— The the code. We all know about the hanky code. (laughs) It's the code. What's the hanky code? Yeah. I thought you were talking around the hanky, just avoiding the hanky. Oh, you mean, like, flagging? Is that— I guess, maybe. Like to show what you're into? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I'm not talking I'm not talking about that. That stuff gets confusing. I yes. You gotta be care you gotta be careful with the hanky cut. I looked it up just to make sure that I could in case you weren't unaware, I could have a specific point to reference. 
Uh, and there's a lot of, like, uh, a lot of things in the Hanky Code are, like, it, just to give you an example, it's, it's pocket-dependent. So a lot of it's, like, I like belly button stuff. And if you put it in the right pocket, and then the left pocket is, like, Avoid my belly button at all costs. You just got to be really, really careful about this. I feel like you'd need to carry a chart. You need a flow. Yeah, you absolutely need a chart. I don't believe that this is in in actual practical daily use, but it is a fascinating. I'm looking at like a legitimately like this chart that I'm looking at has like mustard, gold lame, rust. (laughs) Brown lace, like it's it's. There's a lot to keep track of here with this. Yeah, you also have to be really good at differentiating colors. Yes, that's true. You could you could be a colorblind person that has a very surprising evening. You have to be careful. Well, that is not. I was talking more about the idea that as handkerchiefs were popularized, you had everything from like your snot rag, Mm -hmm. which was just some torn piece of fabric that was very functional, to like a pocket hanky. That would look nice. That like maybe some, like an uh, uh, you know someone who considered themselves a gentleman may you know may carry around maybe offer it to I don't know a hysterical woman. <laughs> yeah, of I'm course. saying that in with sarcasm. Oh, uh, okay. Why are you shaking your head and saying no? I'm not. This is how I feel. No, I'm not. I'm, don't don't pretend like I'm doing that. You're giving me a double thumbs up. Cindy. Well, I feel like in the context of our show, people would know that if I use a phrase like a hysterical woman, that I'm being sarcastic, yes. but. I don't know, maybe you're a new listener and you think, oh my gosh. Gosh, this took a turn. I was enjoying it. Um so the stuff about the hanky coat and then the hysterical <laughs> woman bit. You could you could perfume them, tuck them in your sleeve. That would be lovely. There were all kinds of specific occasions like wedding handkerchiefs, uh special baptismal handkerchiefs to dab off, you know, baby's head after it's been doused. Um and all these things could be embroidered with dates and names, you know, important events and that kind of thing. Um, prayer handkerchiefs, which also could be used. Um, it's funny because I was raised Catholic, and I think about my upbringing. A lot of the adults in my life always had handkerchiefs, yeah. and some of that dates to the fact that when my mom was growing up, going to church, if you forgot to cover your head, because this was traditional at the time in their in their faith, you would just pin a handkerchief on your head as you walked in, mm. and so she can recount many times just having like. That's the thing? Yeah, her mom's handkerchief oh, wow. just dropped on her head and Bobby pinned into place. I know. Wow. This was not, this was before my time. That was not something I experienced. But I remember handkerchiefs always being around and having like the monogrammed ones. And you're looking like you don't believe me. No, I believe all of it. I just, I, I just, um, I just feel like. Whenever someone would would have one of the dad would have one sometimes, and normally, like I, I think there's definitely a place for reexamining cultural stuff. I mean, like, did we move away from this too far? You know, there's people that want to like pine for a simpler era, and they cling to some of these like things that we don't necessarily like. They're not a necessity, but it's nice to have. you see somebody with like a, I don't know, pocket watch or something like that, right? There's a, mm-hmm. it's just. The idea that you would keep this rag with you and then offer it to other people or even have it in your pocket or use it and put it back in your pocket. I just feel like the first day that someone came up with disposable, everyone should have been like, okay, guys, handkerchiefs in the fire. Never again. Well, Justin, you 
You have led us to someone coming up with disposable. Yes. But before we talk about that, please follow me to the billing department. Let's go. The medicines, the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McRoy fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McRoy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to— Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool—think of it as— the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts, and that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed, but we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat delicious meals right to your door, and not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got, like, fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From, from, from a, a box? Pre-prepared, all I got in two minutes, I'm eating filet mignon. That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes, smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. Uh, and the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones50 and use code sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones50 to get 50% off. With Max Fun Drive in the books, we'd like to welcome our new members and say thanks to everyone who's supported us over the years. Welcome. Thanks. And now, on to the sticker sale. A lot of this year's drive gifts and live streams focused on food. We love how food can bring communities together, but not everyone has access to the food they need. So we'll split the proceeds from our sticker sale among five U.S. food banks in areas disproportionately affected by poverty. The sale ends Friday, April 14th. Members at the $10 monthly level and above can purchase any stickers they'd like. 
There's also a special Max Fun sticker featuring Nutsy the Squirrel that all members can purchase. For more info, head to MaximumFun.org slash sticker sale. And thanks again for your support. Her Majesty served Great Britain and the Commonwealth loyally for over 70 years. And while, of course, we feel a profound sadness, we must remember she lived a long life and died in such a way that I think many of us would want for ourselves. She was at home, surrounded by her family. And, of course... She was listening to the Beef and Dairy Network podcast. The Beef and Dairy Network podcast is a multi-award winning comedy podcast and you can find it at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope whoever came up with disposable tissues wasn't too proud of themselves because I just arrived at it independently, you know, and all I have is the benefit of their previous existence. Now, you've got to understand that at this moment, we're about to talk about disposable, not handkerchiefs at this point, tissue. Yeah. I'm not going to use the brand name. Yeah, yeah Well, I am going to use brand name, but I'm not, that's like, it's, we're not there yet. There's yeah. a flow here. No, I know. I'm not we, trying to rush. I'm just saying it's hard to not say. It's true. The brand name. Um. So... We're in the 1900s, and at this point, handkerchiefs are ubiquitous. And so the designs and patterns and colors, um, it could be a way for a fashion designer to, like, kind of start introducing their look or their style with new patterns, like a geometric print or a certain color palette, that kind of thing. Um, the first they use up a fabric they don't like? They have extra cutoffs? Yeah, exactly. Well, and I mean— all of this would be a way of saying this is the direction of fashion. Mm. Um, they were also used for things that were practical, like you could have recipes. Cocktail recipes were a popular thing to have on a handkerchief. And you can find there's tons of these if you want to look for examples of these from throughout the 1900s of beautifully designed, ornate, or like funny. There were ones with cartoons on them and comics, like funny how-to guides. Oh, I bet you're busting up every time you got that out. You got a, you got a Ziggy in there. You got a Beetle <laughs> Bailey to enjoy. All of those things. All of those <laughs> things would be on there. Um, there were like your hobbies, how to do things. Things like um, palm reading were popular things. You'd get a handkerchief that would show you how to read someone's palm. There were things like maps. It was popular to put maps on them. Nice. That was a very practical thing. Just put a map on a handkerchief. You can carry it with you. Um, so all kinds of things. So handkerchiefs are really this sort of, I mean, you can see where that would catch on. It's not just like a style or status. It's like a, it's who it's like, you are. It's like a slap bracelet. It's showing your personality. This is who you, know you are. I mean? It's like carrying around the whiz backpack. Everybody knows knows what your deal is. I think it's like uh, the equivalent of what we do with water bottles today, right? Everybody's got their reusable water bottle and it's a certain brand and color and style and they do things with it and that tells you everything. I look, There's lots of TikToks that tell you exactly who you are based on your water bottle. I, the main criteria that I looked for in a water bottle is one that would say nothing about who I am other than this is a man who enjoys hydration. I wanted one that was big but not too big. Yeah, you failed. You got one that was extremely, extremely it's very big. big. So right as handkerchiefs are, are really on the rise – a, of course, a disruptor has to... Got to disrupt it. Right, mess it all up. So there was a company called Kimberly Clark, and during World War One, they made these crepe paper filters for gas masks. That's where this starts. 
Okay. Um, they in, in the 1920s they took that sort of I don't want to say formula, but that product and refined it into Kotex. Oh, the oh for right. menstrual cycles. Uh, and so first first come the Kotex, and then they take that product, make it softer, uh, lighter, thinner. And by 1924, they renamed the Kotex to the Kleenex. Mm. And they start marketing Kleenex. Now, initially— the Kotex is still a thing, right? Like, yeah. Oh, it's just the, the company net rather than—I got gotcha. you. They just didn't call those Kotex. Got if it. you're going to use it on your face, it's called Kleenex. And that's what Kleenex were for, to wipe cold cream off your face. Okay. That was the initial purpose of a Kleenex. They were very heavily marketed as if, like— all the celebrities, when they would, because that was a common beauty practice of the time, was to cover your face in cold cream after you removed your makeup. To remove all the celebrities after they cover their face in cold cream, they use Kleenex to remove it because they're soft and gentle on your skin. Mm-hmm. And that was where Kleenex started. People still use cold cream after they take off their makeup. I'm sure there are people who do. Yeah. I don't think, I, do I think that it is as my popular as it was? No. That. Yeah, yeah my, my mom was a big Vaseline fan. Mm. Perfect for a slippery face. No, there are, uh, again, I've learned this from TikTok, there are lots of products to remove your makeup now. Um, so I think it's very variable and up to how much you want to spend on them. I'm sure, like yeah. everything. Uh, so so initially, people are just using them to, I mean, that was it was like a, a beauty product. And it was very much associated with femininity, too. Oh. Uh, it yeah. was not something that a masculine person would want to use because you wouldn't put cold cream on your face either, Right. right. So about five years after they're introduced, one of, and this is the story that is told, one of the researchers at Kleenex has a cold and is using the facial tissues to blow his nose and thinks, well, this is better because after I use this, and it's full of snot, I can throw it in the trash can. That's so superior to these handkerchiefs that we all carry around. And so at that point, they start marketing them not just for removing your cold cream, but also for blowing your nose or Mm. wiping your nose or in some way, you know, are you sneezing? Are you coughing? Do you have a runny nose? That kind of direction. And what they really harp on is this concept of, you know, with a handkerchief, you're putting the cold right back in your pocket. Yeah. Guys. Or your purse or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And this was a really compelling idea to people, and it would take a few years for everyone to adopt it. But obviously, Kleenex took it off. It should have been one headline in one newspaper, and then everyone was like, yes, burn the rags. <laughs> well, but again, a couple things. One, we're talking about a price point. A leftover piece of cloth was accessible for almost anyone at the time. This is true, yeah. That's, yeah. Buying a box of tissues was a whole other matter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Also, like, again, they had become part of culture, and they were associated with things. I mean, it was. It was a very romantic gesture for a, a you know, I, I think you I think you kind of, you get this image of, like, and again, these are, like, old stereotypical images of, like, a woman beginning to overcome with emotion and starting to cry, and then a very nice man in a trench coat and a hat, like, handing her his handkerchief. And it was all very romanticized, right? So you had to, like, fight that. Um, which they did, and then specifically introduced products like tissues for men <laughs> to fight the idea that only women were supposed to use Kleenex. So there were ma- marketed, I mean, like in the 80s, Kleenex la- for men. You laugh, but within the last, like, 
12 hours, I saw dude wipes at the store. <laughs> like, it's still, we still feel the need to label who we think is the best <laughs> target demo for our various wipes. Well, and I think it's interesting because what you're fighting against is this same sort of like this idea that somehow it's masculine to use a dirty piece of cloth to wipe off your nose and that it's also then affectionate, gentlemanly, romantic, whatever word you want to use, to take that dirty piece of cloth, cloth and offer it to someone. That same cloth. And we knew, yeah. we knew about germs at this point. So We knew. And so at, at this point, Kleenex kind of take over. Yeah. And a lot more people are using them. Now, the handkerchief doesn't go away. The handkerchief has not gone away to this day. I know. Um, but definitely, I think people are more likely to use Kleenex. Now, all of that goes away because at this point, I think we're kind of into today where most of us would use Kleenex. And I'm going to talk about the the blowing the nose too. Um, but the question is, which one is more sanitary? Now, if you use a Kleenex in the way that you wipe your nose, put that immediately in a trash can and wash your hands, I can see a great sanitary argument there. But I think we all are, have been guilty of taking that Kleenex and like shoving it into your pocket. Mm-hmm. Or balling it up and putting it in your purse. How many of us have those memories? Going through a loved one's purse and finding balled up Kleenex. Ugh. You know that happens. Yeah, oh yeah. We and we all are guilty of that. Also, Not even me. if you do throw it away, do yep. and you don't leave it on the podcasting desk or on the arm of the couch. Even if you throw it away, did you go wash your hands immediately after? Yeah, unlikely, right? If I didn't throw it away, so probably not. <laughs> So there does become this sort of question like, well, I mean, with perfect use, yes, this seems more sanitary. And certainly I think we can all agree that like if you think about a traditional handkerchief, a piece of cloth that you blow your nose on, sort of wrap up the snotty part to cover it and then tuck it into your pocket or your bag or whatever. And then you've got this like dark, warm area with germs in it. It's like you've just made yourself <sighs> yeah. an incubator, right? Yeah, like you yeah. it's like you're trying to grow something. None of this is any different from traditional handkerchiefs though, so far that I can think of, right? Like this That's is what all, I'm saying. Yeah. No, I'm talking about traditional handkerchiefs. No, okay. I'm saying you can see why that would be a problem. Yeah, I and I don't think it's realistic to say I have a reusable handkerchief, but as soon as I use it one time I throw it in the washing machine. I think I think that would be difficult for most people. Um, but then there's the sustainability issue. Yeah. It's you a, know, we throw away a lot of Kleenex. That's a lot of waste. Mm, yeah, but it's going to be a lot of waste if you wash those handkerchiefs as frequently as you should, which is every time you blow your nose. So, I don't know. It, <sighs> it was a big, there were articles written about it all throughout the pandemic about this idea that like handkerchiefs either should be done away with once and for all. Do we finally see, like, this is ridiculous, get rid of reusable handkerchiefs? And then other people who argued the other side of it. No, this just, like, because if you fold it right, you're hiding the germs better, than you, and you're not throwing away the tissues. Let's be honest, you're not. Just say you're And you're a, not washing your hands. Just say you're a nasty dog who loves this dirty rag and move on. Stop trying to justify it. Kids could be reading that. You know what I mean? Kids. Our nation's kids. If you use, I will say, the final word on whatever you use, after you use it, whether you're throwing it away or putting it in the washing machine, you do need to wash your hands, which is something that uh, people still, even after, yeah. and I don't want to say after, during, continuing COVID, people are not consistently washing their hands. 
With all that being said, though, wiping your snot is one thing. Should you be using these implements to blow your nose? So when you blow your nose, this probably doesn't surprise you, you generate a lot of pressure inside your nasal cavity, okay? And um, is that a wise thing to do? I mean, are you actually asking me because I'm a little too smart to just like barrel into this this question knowing that there's some sort of trick coming? Okay, there's a study. Yeah. There's a study done at the University of Virginia. Studies, tricks, same thing with these scientists. <laughs> in the year 2000. And basically they put a thick liquid dye into the nose. They squirted it into the nose of adult volunteers for this study. And then they had them either sneeze, cough, or blow their nose. And they would make them sneeze by, like, putting something under their nose that would trigger a sneeze, okay? And then they actually did CAT scans of their sinuses afterwards. Whoa. And this is upsetting to me. What they found is that people who blew their nose had some of that dye in their sinus cavities afterwards, whereas people who coughed or sneezed didn't. And it it kind of gave rise to the— pressure. Right, the uh, pressure that you generated by blowing your nose uh-huh. blasted some of that, not just out of your nose, but <laughs> into back your up into the brain tube. That well, not into the brain, brain tube, and the in the holes in your skull that we call sinuses. Mm, the brain tubes. And what it led one of the one of the researchers who's an uh, infectious disease specialist begged the question: If we are blasting some of that mucus, <laughs> you keep saying blasting. Well, I mean, that's what you're doing. You're generating an incredible amount of pressure. Yeah. If you're blasting Thank some you. of that mucus into your sinus cavities, and that mucus is laden with some sort of germ, viral or bacterial or whatever, are we worsening the condition? Are we setting ourselves up for exactly what I have just developed, which is a secondary sinus infection after this? viral upper respiratory infection. Now, the study did not go on to like chart rates of sinus infection, you know, because that's what you need to do, right? To prove whether or not this mattered, you'd actually have to see do people who blow their nose more often have or worse, at all. Worse outcomes. Have more, yes, have longer infections, require antibiotics more, have more sinus infections, documented sinus infections, not just like you think you had one, but like actually whatever criteria we're going to use, clinical or CAT scan. So you need to do more than that. But there's a question there. Is it bad to blow your nose? I don't know. And there are other risks. There have been documented cases. First of all, blowing your nose more can lead to more nosebleeds, which doesn't seem like that big a deal, right? Okay, so your nose bleeds. Most of the time, that is a benign condition. Yeah. Can be serious. Most of the time isn't. But also, there have been cases of things like air in the brain or air in the inner ear or even like as a result of blowing your nose, you blow your nose so hard that you blow air into your brain. (laughs) Seriously, there was a case of an orbital blowout fracture like the the orbit, (laughs) your eye socket, like breaking because you blew your nose so hard. And like you read these case presentations and like someone comes into the emergency room and they're kind of sleepy and out of it and there's clear fluid running out of their nose and that's their cerebrospinal fluid running out of their nose. And it's because they blew their nose so hard. You you need that stuff, I'm assuming. Yes, you need cerebrospinal fluid. Yeah, you don't want it running out your nose. That's usually a bad thing. So now, again, these are incredibly rare, right? The reason they're case reports is because they're incredibly rare. Incredibly rare, but Sydney did want to take a moment just to make sure that was somewhere in your brain every time you blow your nose from now until the end of time. Well, that's like Sydney's version of doesn't she look tired? Like it just slips it in there a little bit. Just like 
Just something to think about. Listen, if blowing your nose was clinically proven to be a good idea medically, a, a healthy idea, then I think an a assessment of risks and benefits, you would look at these things and say, oh my gosh, this is incredibly rare. This doesn't weigh in. But if you can't prove that blowing your nose is a good idea, you start to look at these rare complications because you're like, well, is it was it even a good idea? And then, you know, is there any benefit? Um, there was another do- study done in 2021, and I think this might be a middle ground for you. Okay. And it said, okay. Normally, I I uh, abhor a middle ground, but please go on, Cindy. <laughs> Blowing our noses has not been proven to be helpful. It feels good. Yeah, which is helpful. But it also might blow mucus back up into our sinuses, and maybe that's bad. We or, don't know. Maybe. Or as you've demonstrated, explodes your brain. So I think my pleasure of it will be somewhat subdued from this point forward. So this study looked at, is there a safer way to blow your nose? So when you blow your nose, Justin, do you pinch one nostril closed? I think we've established that I do. Okay. Can't really blast it out without that pressure. This study looked specifically at whether or not it was safer. Well, not necessarily safer in the sense of the pressure generated. So... If it changed the pressure that was generated inside the sin- inside the nasal passages, if you just blew your nose instead of pinching one nostril shut, mm-hmm. and it looked at the objective clearing of the nose that you can get in that way. And what they found is that if you just blow your nose, so and what I mean is you don't shut one nostril off, just blow your nose. The pressure you generate is like half of the pressure you generate when you close off one nostril. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if we're worried about these sort of incredibly rare, you know, unicorn complications, mm-hmm. this does decrease that risk, right? Because the pressure is so much lower. They also found that objectively speaking, you clear your nasal passages just as well when you blow both at the same time as you do when you do one at, one at a time. Well, that's now, not true. Now, the only hang-up is that subjectively— Meaning when they asked people, how clear does your nose feel? They felt that it was clearer when they pinched off one nostril and blew one nostril at a time. Even though objectively it wasn't, they felt Maybe like their nose was clear. they were just confused due to the huge hole they just blown in their skull with their awesome nose blow. Possibly. Well, you know, the average adult, when they have a cold, they found blows their nose like 45 times a day. So what I would posit is perhaps we need to blow our nose a little less, less vigorously. You know when you're going for it. You know when you're really trying to blow it out. You know what I'm talking about. Hey, Sid, every single time, okay? No (laughs) half measures here. I live my life a quarter mile at a time, okay? I use all eight cylinders, all eight. What I'm saying is calm it down. I'm saying calm it down. Don't blow your nose quite so hard. Consider this technique. Blow both nostrils at the same time. Don't pinch off one nostril at a time. These may all be safer alternatives. You still clear out your nose. Okay. Uh, that's all I'm saying. We'll it's take just, another advisement. It's just take it down a notch. Okay. You don't have to sound like Tommy Smurl when he blows his nose. It's brutal, folks. It's yeah. Brutal. And I, all I'm saying is that just calm it down. Just calm it down. And wash your hands. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope you enjoyed yourself. Thanks to the taxpayers for use of their song Medicines as the intro and outro of our program. And a uh, big thanks to everybody that supported us in the Max Fund Drive. We we very much appreciate your support. It means the world to us. Um, uh, that is going to do it for us uh, for this week. So until next time, 
Uh, my name is Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head. Fund.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.